Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, Tesla shares dip after the Investor Day event falls short on details. What were investors expecting? OpenAI is opening up access to its ChatGPT tool to third-party businesses, paving the way for the viral chatbot to be integrated into numerous apps and services. Will banning TikTok keep American user data from going to China? A new report says it might not be enough. The Senate votes to block a Biden rule for retirement investing. Two Democratic senators crossed party lines to vote with Republicans. We speak to an original co-sponsor of the bill. A rail union accusing Norfolk Southern of disregarding the safety of workers who cleaned up the toxic train derailment. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us, Don Ma here. An update on the East Palestine train derailment. A union representative claims Norfolk Southern, the operator of the derailed train, is disregarding the safety of cleanup workers. Jonathan Long made the acclaim in a letter to Ohio Governor Mike DeWine yesterday. He worked at Norfolk Southern for nearly 30 years and is now with a union that represents rail maintenance workers. He claims the workers were not given appropriate personal protective equipment by Norfolk Southern. And when some of the workers asked about that, they said they would receive little or no response. He also said many employees reported that they continued to experience migraines and nausea days after the derailment. East Palestine residents have claimed to suffer similar symptoms, but health officials have said the air and drinking water in the area are safe. Norfolk Southern denied claims that its workers in East Palestine were not provided with protective equipment. The company is set to attend a public meeting in the East Palestine today. It's at the request of the EPA. COVID vaccine maker Novavax says it may not survive. During the height of the pandemic, it posted huge sales gains, but now it's facing financial challenges. Especially regarding future sales and funding from the U.S. government, Novavax shares down 29% so far this year. Despite this, the company's new CEO is still hopeful. He says they could have long-term success if they can deliver a competitive product, as well as cutting spending and boosting sales. Novavax isn't the only COVID vaccine maker disappointing Wall Street, though. Shares of other top pharma companies like Pfizer, Moderna have also plummeted this year. Onto Wall Street, stocks ended higher today. The Dow added 342 points, over 1%. S&P rose 30 points, or 0.8%. NASDAQ gained 84 points, 0.7%. Tesla stock fell 6% today after an investor event last night that was short on details. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Tesla says it will cut the cost of its next generation of vehicles in half. CEO Elon Musk and other executives outlined the goals during a three-and-a-half-hour investor event on Wednesday at the company's Austin, Texas headquarters. Musk announced that Tesla plans to build a new factory in northern Mexico. It's first outside of the U.S., Germany and China. We intend to increase production uh, at all factories, uh, so the uh, Giga Mexico would be uh, supplemental to uh, the output of all the other factories. So this is not, to be clear, moving, moving output from anywhere to anywhere. It is simply about expanding uh, total global output. Musk had been expected to launch a much-awaited small, affordable electric vehicle that would broaden his brand's appeal and fend off competition. But not many new details were given at the event. 
Senior executives did outline their commitment to cutting production costs, saying the company expects to build its next-generation vehicles for half the cost of the current Model 3 or Model Y. Elon alluded to the fact that um, Mexico will build our next-gen vehicle, but we will also be doing that in our other plants. Um, and so it's really about getting them all up and running. Um, we expect that to be a huge volume product, and um, yeah, we're going to move that quickly over the next couple of years. Tesla has in recent months cut its prices to boost sales, and Musk said Wednesday lower prices are key to driving sales. Capturing the mass market is critical to Tesla's goal of being able to make 20 million vehicles a year by 2030. CFO Zach Kirkhorn said the company must invest six times what it has already to hit that target, a bill that he said could add up to $175 billion. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. For more on the Tesla Investor Day event, we talk with analyst Dan Ives, who attended yesterday. We get his thoughts on Tesla's outlook for the road ahead. Joining me is Dan Ives, Wedbush Security Senior Equity Research Analyst. Now, Dan, let me just get your quick reactions. Uh, Investor Day event yesterday, you know, a lot of people saying it was sort of lacking details. What are your thoughts? Did it fall flat? Look, I think Wall Street, like a lot of these events, they'll say they want more meat on the bone. But I think it laid out the foundation for the next decade. I think it ultimately was a flex the muscles event for Tesla, just showing the scale and scope and their EV vision under Musk going into 2030. Why the uh, stock price drop? Look, investors were disappointed that you didn't get the official launch of a sub-30,000 hour car. I mean, I think that was really the hope coming into this because to go to the masses you need a cheaper car you need a car in the 25 to 30k i do believe that that will be caught in 2023 2024 they will introduce it but ultimately by not getting it that's why you're seeing the sell off in the stock i mean why not just give some details so there's something for wall street to work with look i think that's typical tesla and elon musk i mean they keep it close to the vest it's how they've always done it I'd say it's almost Apple-like in terms of what we've seen come out of Cook and Cupertino. And I mean, this is something where, you know, if you go back over the years, there have been misses, but basically mostly grand slams uh, for Tesla. And I think that's why the company sitting here in the stock, obviously, it's had a huge move year to date because of some of the optimism that we're seeing post-price cuts. You know, for those who thought maybe it felt flat, do you think it's, it's just a case of there was too much hype before this event and then it failed to live up to that? Yeah, I think a lot of these are sort of selling the news events. I think that's what typically happens for a Tesla, for an Apple. But if you look at the vision far through the trees, I think they laid out a very strong foundation for how they get to 5, 10 and potentially 20 million units when you look at over the next decade. And ultimately, this is an EV arms race. And Tesla right now, I think, is just showing they have scale and scope where it's really Tesla's world. Everyone else is paying rent in the EV landscape. So we're at about 1.3 or some million vehicles per year, 20 millions. How far away are we from that? Yeah, look, that's clearly more of a lofty goal, you know, as we look out into it. 2030. But if you look at automobiles as a percent in terms of EVs, we're still looking at low single digits in the U.S., Europe, high single digits, China, called 11, 12 percent. So we are still in what I view as sort of the second inning of this EV green tidal wave playing out with Tesla really leading it. 
So another big announcement uh, yesterday was the Gigafactory in Mexico. What was your reaction to that? What do you think it's going to be used for? I think Mexico is going to be key to the next-gen car, to really the sub-$30,000 vehicle. That's important from a cost efficiency. You look at the Giga build-out. You got Mexico, you know, call that probably 2025, 2026, along with Berlin, Austin, of course, out in Nevada, and then China. I think this really just shows that global expansion story really now taking hold. And and the master plan, right? Part three, very ambitious. And, you know, how far down the line is that? Look, I think this is really the lookout through 2030. But if you go through the other master plans and where Tesla is, you know, many thought there's a company that was going to ultimately not survive or, you know, eventually be acquired. They, they hated the stock, you know, when the market cap was $5 billion, despised it at a trillion. You know, so I think the success continues to be historic, and Musk is laying it out. He continues to play chess while others are playing checkers. So I know you have a bullish position on Tesla, but what are you most confident about? I think it's really electric vehicles, where this is all moving and how Tesla's positioned. I think it's the scale and scope. It's a unique brand, and Musk is the DNA. I mean, modern-day Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison— you know, that really right now is starting to, I think, refocus on the Tesla story after the Twitter situation that we saw, which was the dark cloud over the stock. All right. Thank you very much, Dan Eyes. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. It's possible that getting rid of TikTok might not be enough to keep China from getting your data. New research has found that over 28,000 other apps could also be sending user data to China, indirectly, though, through TikTok. NTD Shaw Marshall has more. The government wants to ban TikTok, but that might not be enough. Over 28,000 apps have been found to use TikTok Software Developer Kits, or SDKs, according to Gizmodo. TikTok SDKs enable developers to integrate TikTok's features and functionalities into their own apps, and then send TikTok user data from lots of apps and websites like Canva, Fruit Ninja, and a number of lesser-known apps for dating and weather. It's not just your name. It's not just your email. It's the collection of data over time. Nick Donarski, an expert at coding, was able to explain how side developer kits could be a problem. Depending on how that architecture is set up, the data may be may reside in China, or it, you know, just like cloud infrastructure as a whole, it could be distributed in a lot of different places. But the SDK, you know, it can be used to leverage to get access to applications that might not be TikTok and the data that's associated to it. I asked Donarski if the government should be banning all apps that use TikTok's SDK. So. I don't necessarily think that the government needs to ban all of these 28,000 applications, but by banning TikTok uh, or banning TikTok's SDK for code integration for those other applications, they can still maintain control over you know what type of information is actually leaving and going to uh, to that infrastructure. Some apps use TikTok's SDK for functions like ads within TikTok, logging in, and sharing videos from the app. A 2022 Gizmodo investigation found that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Gmail, Snapchat, and other apps expose Americans' data to the same threats as TikTok because they all partner with Chinese advertising technology companies. Sean Marshall, NTD News. 
And the floodgates are open. OpenAI is now letting businesses use ChatGPT tech in their own apps and services. So be prepared to see smart AI chatbots everywhere. And in today's special report, we talked to a number of companies to get a sense of how ChatGPT is being used now in their business. ChatGPT is an intelligent computer program that can talk to you, can answer your questions, tell you stories, and even write songs all in a matter of seconds. Companies that have started integrating this tech include Snapchat, Shopify, and Instacart. In addition to making it public, it's also upgraded the technology. The latest version is much faster and 90% cheaper. OpenAI is giving businesses dedicated server capacity as well. So when a lot of people are using their chatbot, it won't crash their system. Soon, you'll be able to search for things like, what's a healthy lunch for my kids on the Instacart app. Instacart has integrated its product data from over 75,000 store locations with ChatGPT to find that healthy lunch for your kid. We spoke to a firm that's using ChatGPT called InkForAll.com. Inc. is an all-in-one AI content marketing platform. It uses AI to help you do things like write, generate images, and optimizing your position in Google search. Co-founder Alex DeRitter says he started using OpenAI's tech right after its announcement. At InkForAll.com, we basically build a model on top of ChatGPT. So uh, ChatGPT is what you would call a foundational model. What they do is they try to train it on a wide variety of general knowledge. But when it comes to marketing content, specifically content about your specific audience and purpose and intended customer, we add an additional train model layer on top of ChatGPT that can help marketers and businesses optimize their content uh, specifically for their audience so that they can have superior marketing outcomes. Another firm that uses ChatGPT tech is Umaker, an AI firm that helps students with writing. Umaker actually uses many different AI engines, and OpenAI is one of them. On top of that engine, as it relates to our particular use case, we have a number of different features. So in our case, for example, we'll have like a plagiarism checker, a citation tool, um, and think a, a CV builder, an interview uh, platform, um, all for students. And so you can use the engine in whichever way you see is uh, best for your for your customers. Another firm that plans on using ChatGPT is Staffy. It provides remote staffing services to law firms. Staffy COO Demetrio Rico says they're building a program that's going to replace gathering info and evaluating clients' legal situations. Customers uh, that want to hire a law firm will be able to interact with a digital AI, visual digital AI, and some of the answers to the questions that our clients will have will come from ChatGPT. So it'll be a, a mixture of ChatGPT, as well as our own data set. And one more firm that we talked to that's integrating ChatGPT is an AI company called Million Ways. Million Ways is an AI program that can read, understand, and intelligently react to human emotions. CFO Dan Miner says they're combining its own program with ChatGPT to create a program that gives responses with emotion. Let's make the assumption that, you know, I am speaking to an AI and said, I'm feeling depressed um, and I'm looking for resources or solutions. 
ChatGPT can come back with a set of things that people can do when they're depressed. And what we can do is we can feed ChatGPT with additional insights or information on how that person is feeling without them even saying that because we're able to parse their own natural language to understand, you know, what is their emotional state? And we can say to ChatGPT, I'm not feeling happy today. Um, and so I'd be looking for opportunities so that I can feel better. People can have a fluid conversation with the AI program. Users can speak into the microphone and the program will respond with text. Miner says they're currently working on creating an audio response. Moving on. The Senate Wednesday voted in favor of blocking a Department of Labor rule. The rule allows retirement investment managers to consider ESG, stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. The Labor Department rule covers plans that collectively invest $12 trillion on behalf of 150 million Americans. Republicans claim ESG would politicize investing by allowing plan managers to pursue liberal causes, which could hurt profit. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin seems to agree. The ESG rule that we're going to vote on later today is just another example of how our administration prioritizes a liberal policy agenda over protecting and growing, uh, protecting and growing the retirement accounts of 150 million Americans that will be in jeopardy. The vote yesterday fell largely along party lines, but Senators John Tester and Joe Manchin crossed party lines to sway the vote in Republicans' favor. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer accused Republicans of interfering with private investing. The Republican proposal, meanwhile, wants to undo that rule. And across the country, Republican state legislators are trying to punish managers who dare consider, on their own volition, ESG. Because the rule that the DOL has put in effect is completely optional. The bill will now head to President Biden's desk. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says Biden will veto it. Joining me now is Congressman Tim Burchett. The, the Senate Congressman voted to block the Labor Department rule that allows retirement investment managers to consider ESG. But it seems like Biden probably going to veto it. I, I know you're an original co-sponsor of this resolution. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, when I was in the state legislature in Tennessee, an old guy told me, he said, you never really vote bills, you vote people. And Andy Barr is the sponsor of this bill. Honestly, if, if Andy told me it was, if it was gonna start snowing in Tennessee, I'd head down to Mayo's and buy me a sled. Andy's a very honorable guy. He's very intelligent. He understands this. And, um, and you know, the Senate is, is an unusual beast in itself. Um, Schumer being as far to the left as he is, Manchin's kind of left out there on his own being a, um, a moderate to conservative Democrat, he's kind of a unicorn in, in Congress. And so um, it doesn't surprise me that he stood up to him. He's done it in the past. I think he'll do it and to continue, you know, continue doing that. But you know, the, the basics of the bill are very simple, is that people have, want to have control over their investments. And you have these boards and people that are voting to put people's money, not their own money, but somebody else's money, into these politically correct uh, so-called corporations that there really is no financial basis for it. You know, you invest money to make money. And, uh, and if you want to change the world with your money, let the individuals do that. But don't penalize the good people of Tennessee for that, that you want to do that with your money. And, um, and that'd be fine. But, and that's a very American thing. It's clear every chart I've seen shows that these investments are, are, are not financially based. There again, the president's going to veto it because 
the government wants control. They want to control the message, and um, and that's that's what we're seeing. And I'd like to get your reaction on something. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said before the Senate vote that this resolution is anti-free market, that it forces a certain ideology. What's your response? No, as a matter of fact, it does the exact opposite. That's their spin. You know, she's a, she would be a great Saturday Night Live skit. Let the American people decide. You know, my mom and daddy were, were Depression-era people, and daddy fought in the Second World War. My mama flew an airplane during the war. And she could she could manage her dollars very a whole lot better than Washington D.C. could. So, in your view, can retirement investment managers focus on ESG factors, and at the same time put profit first? Are these mutually exclusive? Well, I think they can they can do that. It's just allow people that choice. They've 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 injected that in that they have to they have to consider it. And all this bill does say they don't have to consider it. If you want to put your money down a rat hole, then go ahead and do it. People do it every day. But don't force don't force the good people of Tennessee to do that. And that's exactly what their intention was and what it did. And it cost people in, in their, the golden years of their lives millions upon millions of dollars. And if I may just play the devil's advocate for just a bit, if America is on this green transition, isn't there some profit to be seen, at least in the E part of ESG? I believe so. I, you know, I believe capitalism is the is the answer. 85% of our waste stream is, is compostable. We could turn that into a soil additive. Yet, you know, there are rules and regulations that are restricting that, and I'm actually looking at it on a bipartisan manner to uh, to address that that situation. Absolutely, capitalism is the answer to the environment. Um, we need to. We know we got to plant more trees. Well, it's a it, it's a, a, a it's, it's a profit making industry. And let, let's let's help promote that. Let's not promote the government. Let's not put restrictions on things that drive small businesses out of it. And then only thing left are the multinational, multi-billion-dollar corporations and government that can do these things. So yeah, I do believe the environment, especially, is a is is it could be a cash cow for somebody, and it could employ a lot of people. Thank you so much, Congressman, for coming on. It was such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, brother. It's always a pleasure. Still to come after the break, the metaverse is one of the highlights at Mobile World Congress. Visitors dip their toes and their minds into virtual reality. We have that story coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Hologram tour guides and augmented soccer matches are just some of the latest additions to the metaverse. At Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, visitors dove headfirst into virtual reality. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Mobile World Congress is the world's biggest wireless trade show. In Barcelona, a range of telecom and tech firms showcased metaverse demonstrations and 5G technology. What's been interesting at Mobile World Congress is how some of the services that are being shown off are now starting to leverage those 5G networks. And one of the more interesting ones, of course, is the much vaunted metaverse. And I think that uh, for the metaverse to achieve a lot of its um, potential, we need strong, good quality 5G um, networks. Telecommunications company Ericsson presented a range of 5G applications, including augmented reality holograms. 
this is more of like a concept that we want to show people so they get an idea of what we want the metaverse in the future to look like. Because right now we have hardware that's only capable of producing outdated, cartoony looking graphics. And once consumers want to try out the metaverse, they get disappointed by it because they expect to see realistic looking graphics instead. Software firm Amdocs showed off a range of wireless demonstrations. This augmented reality soccer match experience displays useful data over the headset wearer's field of view. There's such a spectrum um, of use cases in the business world. So I think as we build them, as we bring out new companies and try out you know, augmented reality glasses like we hear and see in the background here, where you're overlaying you know, real life with all sorts of digital information, we see some real life use cases coming to be. Mobile World Congress is also providing a glimpse into the future with 6G. Japanese mobile phone operator NTT Docomo presented its human augmentation motion sharing platform. A robot replicates a person's movements almost instantly. 6G network will be improved more in terms of the data rate, very high speed, and also a very low latency. If so, our network can behave as a human nerve. Mobile World Congress opened at the Fiera Gran Via Exhibition Center in Barcelona on February 27th. The four-day event ended today. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.